Thank you, as always, to our worship team for leading us this morning in worship and praise and discerning what the Lord is doing in our midst in that time. Um, I would really just want to take a moment for launch into this message just to encourage you. I know Wednesday nights at 6.30 are not sometimes the most convenient times, but Our times of nights of worship and prayer, Wednesday evenings at 6.30, um, really have been transformative for those who have come. And I believe God is doing something uniquely in shaping the spiritual atmosphere of our church family because of those times of worship and prayer on Wednesday nights. Um, I I always leave those times going, wow, that was so good. to be in the Lord's presence in that way. But I'll be very just honest and say, I I feel at the same time sad because I want that for many more of our church family to encounter Jesus in that space. And, And I know that, you know, sometimes it's not about the moment all the time, but there is something unique about gathering together for times of worship and prayer, that just as we just waited in the Lord's presence, worshiped him, had those times of prayer this morning, to even have longer times together, God reveals his heart and does unique things in those times uh, where we come with some plans, but really he sets the agenda and uh, leads us through those times. So I would encourage you, um, if you're able to come uh, Wednesday nights at 6.30 and uh, I believe you won't be disappointed and come away going, man, I should have done something else tonight. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord. All right, today is our final day, uh, Sunday, looking at 40 days of prayer. It concludes this Thursday, and so as we've been praying, we've been looking at a number of topics, wake up now, uh, pray now. We talked about on a Sunday morning and then for the week, his now, our identity in Christ, worship now. Last week, we talked about family now and this intergenerational idea that we as a church family together. And today, uh, for this last week of 40 days of prayer, evangelize now. Evangelize now. A number of years ago, a young man I had known for a long time uh, came to my mind. I can actually remember I was uh, doing dishes at the moment that he came to my mind. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. I know him, but he came to my mind in a unique way. And uh, he just wouldn't leave my mind. And I began to understand and really believe the Lord was putting him on my mind to reach out and to check in with him. Well, even though he stayed on my mind for a couple of days, actually three, four, five days or so, um, and I had already decided I should reach out to him, I hadn't actually taken the step to do it until I heard that he had tried to take his life. And all of a sudden in that moment when I found out the day that he had tried to take his life, I looked back and I realized when he came to my mind, it was the day before he had tried to take his life. Now, I was so grateful that the Lord had spared his life through that. But that moment for me was one of those times where I recognized the need and the the significance and the burden 
to respond to what the Lord is putting on my heart. It's not there so that I can tomorrow or the day after or the day after or the day after or maybe next month or next year, I can get to it. But if the Lord is putting it on our hearts, we need to be people of response because he does it for a purpose. Now in general, we have the opportunity always to evangelize. Evangelize not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year, but evangelize now. Thankfully, because he was not successful, I had opportunity then to spend time with him. I learned my lesson in that moment and I began to spend time with him. And often our conversations went to faith in Christ in relationship with Jesus and I had the opportunity to share with him. But as a family of God on mission together, we are invited to evangelize now. Now. The Apostle Paul in this passage equips us to this end. And so this morning, we want to walk through this passage as we prepare to take communion as well. It will have some wonderful words for us to give us perspective on communion as well. But he gives us first the motive to evangelize, the motive to evangelize now. Sermon notes are in your bulletin. There will be extra fill-in or extra uh, items for you to take notes if you're a note taker. But the idea of the motive to evangelize now, Paul gives four motivations that we see here. Beginning in verse 11, the first part he says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Paul's beginning motive here in this passage to try to persuade Jesus or persuade people to come to Jesus is the fear of the Lord. He had had encounters with the Lord. He had had encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that knocked him off of his animal that he was riding, blinded him. He heard from the Lord and said, I am the one that is that you are persecuting. And he totally, Jesus totally revolutionized Paul's life in that moment. He had come to the place of understanding the glory and the power and the wonder and the awe of God. And he knew what it was in that place to fear the Lord. But there is a reason that Paul says that even more in this passage. It's the verse right before and in verse 11, where he says, for we might, or in verse 10, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There are two seats of judgment. One is the, the seat of judgment to determine whether your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That is the seat of judgment that determines whether you spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And that is decided in this life in our choice to respond to Jesus in faith or not. But this is not the seat of judgment that the Apostle Paul is writing to. This is what theologians call the Bema seat, the, the seat where we are able to stand before the Lord to receive reward, to be able to be judged based off of what we have done in this life, both good and bad. Now, that's a motivator, isn't it? <laughs> 
To know that one day we are going to stand before the Lord of all creation and give account for what we have done in this life. That does not determine heaven or hell, but determines whether our our level of reward before the Lord. We will have to give account for all that we have done, both good and bad. And so Paul says, we know what it is to fear the Lord in that way. We know what it is to be motivated by the fact that all the opportunities that we will have and have been given to us, we will have to give account to the Lord for. I will have to give account to the Lord before him of saying, I heard your voice. I heard your prompting, but I put it off. Thankfully, I had that second opportunity. But we will give account. And so the fear of the Lord, understanding who he is and knowing that we will give account is one of the motivations to evangelize now. A second motivation is in verses 11b through 13 and that is others, not ourselves. Others, not ourselves. Many times, Paul in his letters had to defend his right to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it was no different in Corinth. There were those who were questioning whether he really could be and should be an apostle of Jesus. And so many times he was defending himself. But in this place, he is not in a place to fully defend himself. He's already done that in past letters and in past visits. This is an opportunity for him to say to the people in Corinth, I want to give you opportunity to take pride in us, to be able to stand against those who come against me and to be able to say, no, we have seen the fruit of his ministry. He is an apostle called by God. And so in the midst of all of this, he is not doing it for the sake of look at me. He's doing it actually for the sake of them. He's doing it for the sake that they would have an encounter with the Lord And that they would be able to come to Christ and live for Jesus. He says in verse 13 this kind of interesting statement. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. What in the world is he talking about? Being out of his mind, he is speaking about his speaking in tongues before the Lord. And so he is saying, if, it is, if I am out of my mind, if I'm being controlled by the Spirit so that I'm speaking in a heavenly language, it is for God's sake to minister to him, to share his message. And if, it, if I'm in my right mind, all the other times, it is for your sake. Paul is motivated not for himself. He's motivated first for the Lord and then for the sake of others. It's why we evangelize. It's why we evangelize others, not our own pride, our own commendation. The motive to evangelize now is third, that we are compelled by Christ's love. We are compelled by Christ's love. Look at the first half of verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Paul had been touched by the love of Jesus. He was rescued from his sin, and many times throughout his letters, he writes about the depths of the love of God. He had been touched, and he knew personally and deeply of the love of Jesus in his own life. But this idea of compelling, some 
passages or, or some translations will call it control. I am controlled or compelled by the love of Christ. The original hearers would have had an understanding of something like this. This is the Strait of Gibraltar. This little area right in here, if you're looking on this side, right in here. This is Europe. This is Africa. This is the Atlantic Ocean. This is the Mediterranean Sea. And so these straits, you would have these shipping areas where ships would go from a wide open expanse of water, whether it's the Atlantic going into the Mediterranean or the Mediterranean going into the Atlantic, you have these wide open spaces, but as they come closer to the Strait of Gibraltar and various straits around the world, it gets narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower until they are controlled and compelled that if they are going to go farther, they are only gonna be able to go in one direction. And this is what Paul is saying about the love of Christ. It compels him, it controls him, it squeezes him, it is so enveloping around him that it pushes him in one direction and in one direction only. His love, the love of God has touched him so deeply that he only has one way to go. And that is to share the good news of Jesus. It's to evangelize now. When we are touched by the love of Christ, it's not that we should do it or we're supposed to do it. It's we are compelled. We are controlled by his love so much that it pushes us to others to share that good news. The motive, fear of the Lord, others, not ourselves, we're compelled by Christ's love, but lastly, we are convinced by Christ's work. We're convinced by Christ's work. For Christ's love compels us because, verse 14, we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul is convinced this is an understanding, a knowledge, a belief that Jesus died for all who believe in him and in him they all died. Jesus died for all and was raised to life for all. This is the, the mystery of God's work in Christ at the cross. This is the wonder of the cross that in Christ's death, all who believe in him are included in his death. And in Christ's resurrection, all who believe in him by faith are included in his resurrection. And Paul says, I am convinced, I am convinced that because Christ died and was raised to life, those who believe will have died with him and have been raised to life again. He is convinced of this. In ancient times, it was happened often where armies would gather for war. And sometimes there would be decisions made in some of these ancient cultures and these ancient battles where they would decide, you send your best warrior out and we will send our best warrior out and the two warriors will fight on behalf of the nations. And whoever wins, that is the nation that wins the war. 
In many ways, this is what Jesus has done for us. He has been the one to fight the war against sin and death. And instead of coming out as the one who lived, the kingdom of God and the ways of God are so upside down, the foolishness of God is actually wisdom. What may seem foolish to us is actually the wisdom of God. And so in Christ's death, he dies for us so that in Christ's resurrection, we have victory over death. This is Paul's motive, the fear of the Lord, knowing he will give account others, not himself. He is compelled by Christ's love and he is so convinced that the work of Jesus is sufficient for the salvation of all who believe because Christ died for all and was raised for all that those who believe in him were united in his death and his resurrection. This is his motive. Paul goes on to equip the Corinthians and to equip us in this idea of evangelizing now by giving the method, the method that is needed and to, under, to be understood to evangelize now. In verses 16 through 19, he says, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded even Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And all this is from God who reconciled to us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The method to evangelize now is to regard no one in a worldly way. In other words, see people God's way. Paul makes this astounding admission. He says, once I saw Jesus in a worldly way. There was a, a point in Paul's life where he saw Jesus as opposition to God, as another pretending Messiah, as one who actually defamed the name of God, a blasphemer. That's how he saw Christ. He saw him as just another man who stood opposed to Judaism and to the work of God on this earth. But once he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, he recognized that he was dead wrong. That Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who had come to reconcile all of humanity back to God. And so he changes, he repents, and he understands that Jesus is not just a man. He is God in flesh, the one who died and who was raised to life and rules and reigns and one day is returning again to make all things right. And he is the one that when people come to faith in him, they are changed from old to new, from dead to life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so as we understand Jesus, Paul is saying he recognizes that not only does he not look at Jesus in a worldly way anymore, but he never looks at a person in a worldly way. No longer are you a person who is just undervalued or no longer are you a person who opposes me. You are now people in need of being a new creation. This is the way God sees lost people as people in need from old 
to being new. People separated from him to brought into relationship with him. Paul's view of people, view of Christ was changed and ours needs to be in line that we regard no one in an earthly way but as in a way in which they need Christ. This motivates us and leads us in this next part of being of joining in the method to evangelize thou, and that is to be God's ambassador. To be God's ambassador. This is how, it's amazing how God has chosen to bring about salvation to this earth. He has decided to use people who have been brought to him to be his ambassadors. What's an ambassador? If you follow the news in any way, shape, or form, you probably have heard a lot recently about ambassadors or secretaries of state in some way, shape, or form, whether it's between uh, uh, U.S. ambassadors or secretary of state or Israel and Hamas and their representatives or Ukraine and Russia or Egypt and Qatar. All of these countries are sending people to talk because of all the wars and rumors of wars and all of these conflicts all around the world, ambassadors, secretaries of state, and somehow are sent as representatives of the president or the leader of the country. And they are sent with three things. Three things that you and I are sent with as ambassadors of God. The first is ambassadors are sent with a message. Ambassadors are sent with a message from their leaders. And you and I have been given the message of God. Our message, in verses 18 and 19 and verse 21, is this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the message, that God was reconciling or making peace with, breaking down the wrongs to make them right, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin or Some translations will say a sin offering for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here is the message. The message is you and I, because of sin, all of humanity because of sin, are separated from God. God is holy. God cannot accept sin. But all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And our destiny is separation from him in this life and eternity in hell. That is the bad news. The good news is that God has sent Jesus, his perfect son, to be the one who went to the cross as a sin offering to God. That as Jesus died and hung on the sin uh, on the cross, he was guiltless of all sin. He had not done anything wrong. He had lived in absolute perfection before God. But as he hung on the cross, God laid upon him the sin of the world so that the innocent one became the sin offering before God, 
so that in his death, sin would be paid for, but that in his resurrection, sin and death would be overcome in victory. This is the message, that God has sent Jesus to fix the broken relationship that sin has caused between God and man so that all who would repent and who would come to Christ would now become the righteousness of God, the rightness of God. This is the message. And we are sent as representatives, as ambassadors of God with this message. Ambassadors are also given authority. They come with the authority of their leader, and so you and I have been given the authority of God. Listen to verse 20, it's amazing. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Do you hear that? Whenever an ambassador goes to another country's leader, they go with the full authority of the president or the king or the leader that they are representing so that when they say something, it is as if the president is saying it himself. They have absolute authority of the president in that space so that the message also has the authority attached to it. God has given us a message and he's given us his authority to share it so that when we share that message of reconciliation with people and we evangelize now, it is as though God is speaking himself through you to them. The God of the universe speaking through you. Does that just overwhelm you? In the awesome privilege that we have, God speaking through us. His message, his authority, ambassadors then give an invitation. Here's what we will do if you will respond. You and I have been given the invitation of God as his ambassadors to share. The rest of verse 20 is this. We implore you. Another way to say this is we get on our hands and our knees and we beg you with tears. Be reconciled to God. Be made right with him. Be brought into relationship with him. Have faith in Jesus' death and resurrection to count for you to be reconciled to him, to be made right with him. This is God's method to evangelize now, that we would see people the way he does, not in a worldly way, but in God's way, in need of being made new creations and that we would be his ambassadors, sharing his message with his authority, inviting them to be reconciled to God. Paul equips us thirdly with the moment to evangelize now. The moment to evangelize now. In verse two, all of this 
invitation, all of this encouragement to embrace the moment is built off of Isaiah 49, verse 2, which says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. It's a promise that God makes to Israel for their restoration and their recovery of their role to be a light to the Gentiles, to the nations. Not only would they be brought back, but they would be in a place of being his representatives again. Here's the amazing thing. In Paul, using this verse in this context, what he is saying is this. In Christ, this restorative work has been done. And they are now in a place of being the light to the Gentiles, the ambassadors of God. Now is the time to share the good news of reconciliation with God. So the moment is now. Now is the time of God's favor. From the moment that Jesus came and he died on the cross and was resurrected and ascended into heaven again until the moment that he comes back and we believe he is our sure and certain coming king who is returning. And in that period of time, until Jesus comes back, we are in the time of the favor of God. We don't have to say, I don't know, maybe God wants you, maybe not. No, we are in the time of the favor of God. We don't have to wonder. God has done the work of, of reconciliation through Jesus on the cross. Now is the time of God's favor. We are in it now. And now also, the end of verse 2, is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month or next year. Now, today is the day of salvation. If you have not received this reconciliation work of God, if you have not become the righteousness of God through Christ, today is the day, now is the time to receive that salvation. And if you have, if you've gone from old to new, you become a new creation in Christ, now is the time to be an ambassador of this good news so that others can experience the favor and salvation of God. So let me challenge you and apply it for you in a couple of different ways. One, would you personally begin to pray for one to three people that you know need to be reconciled to God. You may be doing this, and if you are already doing this, continue to do that. But if you are not, would you begin to pray for one to three people who you know need to be reconciled to God, and then begin to look for Holy Spirit-led opportunities to be God's ambassador to them. A second way, we have international partners who are doing this because we believe that 
all of Jesus for all of the world is really captured in the favor of God and today is the day of salvation. He desires all people, locally and internationally, to know Christ. And so, would you pray for our mission partners? Would you give to our mission partners through the Great Commission Fund, through those specific opportunities for prayer and giving? And a third one, I'm gonna take a last few minutes of this message before we take communion to both show you a video and then have Mara come up and just kind of summarize and share a little bit from her perspectives of what she's heard from national leadership as well. This is what's called Project Reimagine, which is our national office's new um, building and approach to ministry as a national office, moving from Colorado Springs to Columbus, Ohio, Reynoldsburg, Reynoldsburg, Ohio. So watch this, and then Mara will come up and wrap that part up. When God invites people to join him on mission, it's rarely predictable. This is one of those stories. It's a Jesus story about his heart for people, a scrappy family of churches, and you. God's heart has always been to pursue us, bringing reconciliation and restoring his creation. And for nearly 140 years, the Christian and Missionary Alliance has partnered with him in making sure that every person gets the opportunity to experience his transforming presence. We've seen his grace and hope extended in communities from Toledo to Taipei, from San Francisco to Sao Paulo. We are living in a unique cultural moment where change is happening faster than ever. Our world is desperate for Jesus' presence and it longs for communities where his love is made real. Reaching our changing world will take courage, creativity, and empowerment from the Holy Spirit. It requires new imagination. Project Reimagine is the story of the national office's relocation from Colorado Springs to Columbus. But even more, it's an intentional step towards meaningful, impactful presence. It's an advance of the ministry God has given to the Alliance that will extend far beyond cubicles and a building to the least reached places in our world. By constructing a mixed-use building, including retail shops, an event center, a coffee shop, and yes, even some cubicles, our national office is moving from a business park to the marketplace. One Alliance Place will position us closer to more of our Alliance family, as well as the community around us. We have placed the national office at a crossroad of cultures, allowing us to rub shoulders with people from very different backgrounds. This move made it possible to have an increasingly diverse staff, which better represents our U.S. Alliance family. All of this shapes us and refines our calling to all people. We're moving from paying for building costs out of the Great Commission Fund to creating new revenue streams from the building itself as we receive lease income from shops and restaurants. Every new dollar means even more potential for sending workers around the globe and staying on mission for Jesus. So, where do you come in? This could be your story. Maybe God is calling you to ask similar questions in your own town or neighborhood. Perhaps he is leading you to imagine new, tangible ways you can engage your community with Christ's love. This is our shared alliance story. What God is doing through this project in Columbus will shape the direction and impact of our movement. 
This dream is big, and it will require all of us to engage through our prayer, energy, and finances. Just as every journey begins with one step, every building begins with one square foot. One Alliance Place is 130,000 square feet, each square costing approximately $400. For some, giving an extra $400 is a goal that could take a year or two. But for others, this is a drop in the bucket of what God can make possible. Would you consider contributing one square foot or 10 or maybe more? What impact will your giving have? Imagine a new mission focus born in this cultural moment with impact for decades to come. Imagine a pastor being better equipped with resources for reaching and engaging the next generation in their community. And imagine gospel conversations being held in a location once closed to the good news. By engaging with Project Reimagine, you will be standing with a family that is bringing gospel transformation to our communities in the U.S. while expanding impact around the world. This is a Jesus story. It's an Alliance story. Will it be your story too? So I've had the opportunity to hear a few of our national leaders talk about this project Reimagine. And one thing that I find so interesting that they don't mention too much in the video is that they don't view this project as something new and exciting that they're doing. Um, they view it as a way that God is calling them back to the roots of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Our uh, denomination was founded by A.B. Simpson, who was the pastor of this huge, prestigious church in New York, until he felt called to open the doors to the immigrants who were flooding into the country, and the church was completely against it. And so he left this high-paying job, this awesome pastor position, and he decided to just start outreaching to those who are in need. And so part of this move is that they are leaving this area of Colorado Springs that is really beautiful and they had an amazing office there and saying our priority is to reach people. Our priority is to be in the marketplace so that our national staff are helping churches but they're also volunteering in their communities. They're also talking to unbelievers. So we have all these challenges for us individually of how we are called to reach out to others. We have the things that we do as a church so that we can reach out to our community. And I think it's super encouraging to know that even our broader denomination is looking to reach out in bigger ways to reach those who don't have an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus. Um, so just wanted to share that little tidbit with you and encourage you that if you'd like some more information um, in the foyer area on the two back tables, um, there is a little Project Reimagine uh, flyer where you can use a QR code to get more information. Or if you'd like to hear more about it, uh, Mark and I would be happy to direct you as well. Thank you very much, Mara. 